Stories That Matter Studios. I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town, The Journo Project. This podcast is all about recognising great Australian journos wherever they may be around the world. With the media in Australia under increasing attack and hard-won freedoms under threat, there's no better time to celebrate and highlight the work of the top journalists from down under. Naz Campanella is a journalist and radio newsreader with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation on the national network Triple J. Naz secured a highly sought-after ABC cadetship in 2011, spending her first year news gathering and reading in Bega. In 2013, she joined Triple J, where she produces, writes and reads the news several times a day. Naz is the only blind radio newsreader in the world. She lost her sight when she was six months old and uses an audio speech program to help her read the radio news bulletin. She's also sent reports to around the country from the Disability Royal Commission and filed reports for ABC TV from overseas. As Naz explains on this episode of the Journo Project podcast, overcoming a sudden rain shower on our coffee interview outside ABC Ultimo Studios, she hopes that her example shows Australians how much people with a disability are capable of so that others can follow their dreams too. Hello Naz, thank you for joining us on the Journo Project. Hi, thank you for having me. Really appreciate you seeing us on this busy, busy week. We, we really can't not mention the old coronavirus and you've managed to squeeze me in just before your shift when no doubt you'll be very busy talking about that pretty yeah, much all day. It, it's changed so quickly, it's been such an interesting time of the news, it's a story that just keeps unravelling. <laughs> Naz, you've been here at the ABC, I think, 10 years now? Is it this year? Just on, yeah. Amazing. Um, nine years. Nine and years. you started as a cadet, one of those very highly competitive cadetships. Tell us a bit of your, your journey up to that point and how, how long you'd wanted to be a journalist for. So I think I wanted to be a journo since about 15 years old. I was always sort of very interested in music and radio and the way people sounded and I think because of my vision impairment I gravitated more towards radio than television or obviously Mm. print medium because it was how I learned about the world around me and I loved the way people sounded and I used to you know be one of those lame kids who used to kind of record my voice and then tack sort of music on the end and make people listen to my fake shows. Oh, great! And and then I studied really hard, got into a journalism degree at the University of Technology, Sydney, um, did lots of internships, uh, unpaid, a bit of casual work for Fairfax Community Newspapers, and that was about four years, just every time I had a break from uni or even in school holidays and things before I was even at university, and then... um, lucky enough to get the cadetship in 2011. And is that the key, do you think, Naz, for the students out there who might be listening in, is doing those unpaid cadetships, frustrating as that might be when you're a poor student as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think what set me apart from the rest of the candidates going for jobs was that I'd already had so many articles published. Mm. Um, I knew people in the industry already. Um, They were, you know, giving me tips and tricks for interviews and helping me with, you know, prepare. I already had a massive portfolio. I had, I guess, having that work under my belt showed commitment to the industry as well um, and showed the diversification in, I guess, my skills because I had done everything from sort of 
you know, being a, a, a copy girl or, you know, getting coffee and cleaning the fashion cupboards at women's magazines right through <laughs> to having actual articles published in leading newspapers and, uh, at, you know, radio stations and all that sort of thing. So it showed that I was prepared to work my way up, I think. And how did you find it working, as you say, as a person with a vision impairment and even from that early stage, were people supportive? Was it a bit of a mix? Did you have to really steal yourself to, to get out and uh, work in this industry? It can be tough. So with the internships, I think, let's face it, anyone's happy to give you the work to do free. Um, so I found it quite easy to get internships, um, but it was... And, and for the most part, I think everyone was quite fascinated to have someone with a disability in their newsroom. They hadn't really experienced that before. There were lots of people who they had lots of questions. They didn't know whether they could... I got the feeling they didn't know whether, you know, they could talk to me in the same way they talked to other people. Um, really? You still face that a bit too? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, of course I would get, you know, the measly story, you know someone's lost dog you know that kind of thing to do it, it, it took a long time to you know I was at one particular place for on and on again off again for three years before I actually got to really do anything I guess a story that I, I thought was you know meaningful and then yeah finding paid work proved a lot more difficult obviously when people are putting their money behind you um, and investing in you they have really high expectations they were nervous uh, and it was a pretty horrible scenario looking for a job. And then you got that ABC cadetship and you've, you've proven your worth many times over, I think, Naz. Perhaps if we talk about your news reading to begin with, is that really where you started out as a cadetship? No, I think I'd actually attribute the success of my career mm. to two things. Number one, it's hard work, of course. Mm. But number two, it's going and working in the regions. So after my cadetship, which was a steep learning curve, <laughs> most cadets go off and do a regional placement. Mm. And at the time, I was offered a full-time ongoing position in Sydney. It was going to be really cushy and great. And, you know, no one had ever been offered that before. And I was pretty devastated because mm. I wanted to be given that same opportunity to go and professionally and personally have that regional experience. Mm. Um, you know, I'd grown up in in Sydney and I, I really longed for something new and different in my personal life as well but then professionally I just wanted to be treated like everyone else that's all I've ever wanted that's all anybody wants and mm. I thought you know if everyone else is going off for this new challenge this new chapter then I need to do the same thing so I was really lucky that the ABC made that happen and um, mm. I went off to Bega in the New South Wales, far south coast, and I was there for 12 months. And I think that was where I really learnt to be a journalist. You know, no one was feeding me stories. <laughs> there was rarely press releases that came in. It was all about making good contacts and keeping those contacts and listening, you know, keeping your ear to the ground and listening to what was going on and coming up with the news agenda of the day for a huge region. It was, you know, the snowy mountains of New South Wales, the far south coast, and all the way to the Victorian border. So it was a huge chunk of, of New South Wales. Sounds like that stood you in good stead and you, that still informs your work even even today by the sound of it, looking back. I think so. I think what I learned was to write clearly and quickly. I, I learned um, the art of a good interview because I didn't ever want to waste my time, you know, on the phone to someone or, or <laughs> having, um, you know, gone out to, to meet with someone. I, I wanted to get something out of it. Um, and 
And I learnt the art of really, I guess, understanding um, at a community level what's important. You know, things that when you grow up in the city, you just don't think about. You know, the patch that I covered, it was wool, it was um, fisheries, it was dairy, and all of those things. And, you know, the lack of healthcare services in regional areas, mental health support, all of those things were not really something I'd thought of before. I knew, obviously, there was a dairy industry and I, you know, I, I vaguely knew what it was all about, um, but I guess I didn't realise the enormity of some of the issues that people in regional areas face, and I'm incredibly passionate about our regions, and I'm incredibly passionate about people going to them and working there, because I think you learn so much about yourself, the people around you, and you learn about what's truly important, and at the heart of good journalism is knowing what what is important to people and what they want, what they want to know about, um, what interests them, and talking to, to the community. And finding those stories, what, what are the tips? Do you, is it also getting out into the community where you live? Like I know for, I think the journos that I knew who did the regional thing and didn't really enjoy it were the ones who kind of went home to Sydney most weekends. The beauty for me is, so I was in a region where there was a huge lack of public transport. <laughs> Um, I thankfully I found a great little cottage on the same street to live in as as the ABC office so I'd walk to work and I would just meet people and I ended up it was just the most magic year where I didn't have to go to some of those big grocery stores to do my groceries I had my neighbor who would make loaves of bread and bring them over Um, there's farmers markets everywhere and I just learnt. I made the most beautiful friends friends who I've still got now Um, you know one of the people I met there was, you know, the MC at my wedding. Another one Aww. supplied food for my wedding. It's, it's, you make lifelong friendships, and it's, it's that community that kind of you set up around yourself, where um, you really, you find those stories. So for me, when I went down there, it seems really trivial, but I was, mm-hmm. I, I had this thing that I wanted to milk a cow, shear a sheep. <laughs> And go fishing. And, and did you them up? I did all of them. Oh, well um, and and it was, you know, on these amazing farms with these amazing people and I came back with stories and beautiful life experiences that I'll cherish forever. Oh, um, that that so many kids now will never get the chance to do if they don't really spread their wings. Oh, so. It's so funny, like when I went to Port Augusta, I remember all I wanted to see was the Unidata Roadhouse, the Pink Roadhouse, and I ticked that off too. So you do have these little lists in your mind before you go, don't you? I think I think it's <laughs> You know, as a journalist, you're naturally curious about how people live, who they are, what they do, what they're all about. And I think it's really sad when I hear new journalists coming in now. I sound like such an old fart now. Um, but when I hear journalists coming in now and they say, oh, but I've, you know, I've got a relationship or I've got, you know, my friends and I've got all kinds, of, you know, I don't have a driver's license was the latest I heard a couple of weeks ago from someone who doesn't want to go to the regions. Um, and you didn't have a and, driver's license. Uh, yeah, then. well, it's exactly what I said. And, and I think it's just natural to want to get out of yeah. the four walls that you your little microcosm and I think it's really problematic that there are people who don't want to move beyond that mm. now. It must have been hard for you uh, Naz when with the bushfires going through there recently I think sometimes people forget as journos the connections that we still have and that we're people too that must have been difficult to watch. Yeah so that patch was really badly hit mm. um, you know hundreds of homes and um, you know 
several several people died mm. um, to a father and son very close to where I lived. Um, I didn't know tho- those two people personally, but I knew people who knew them. And so it's, it was really sad. I was at work on the day where it really hit hard on New Year's Eve. So you were reading I was reading and, well. and in between my bulletins I was interviewing people um, and editing those interviews to go uh, on for our emergency broadcasting on ABC Sydney and I was also you know cutting that up for all of our um, news bulletins to use. So it was a really busy day, it was full of adrenaline but I was also quite emotional because I knew people who were packing up their kids and their dogs and leaving their cattle behind and their home and their business you know people tend to forget that not only are these properties where people live it's where they get their food it's how they make their living um, and it's heartbreaking to to talk to those people and hear the I guess vulnerability and fragility in their voice and and you know, places I've been to um, as well. It was really quite tough. That must have been a really tough day, Naz. Those days as a journalist where your your life and your work collide a bit, don't they? Yeah, it is hard and I think, call me a bad journo, but the first thing I <laughs> cared about and the only thing I wanted to know when it all first hit was calling my friends and saying, are you okay? What are you doing? What's your plan? Um, you know, what, what have you done to sort of figure out you know um, in terms of fire mitigation and get out of there yeah. um, and a lot of them obviously knew that you know eventually I'd want to talk to them um, and some were ready to ready and to go the minute you're wrong and others just said look I just I'll talk to you but I just don't want to I'm not ready to to talk to you as a journalist yet you're my friend at the moment and I I'm okay with that yeah because um, you know I'm a human first and, and, and respecting uh, people's choice isn't yeah it? As, absolutely as and I yeah. think you know they they talk to me in the aftermath and and that's that's what you know the stories that mattered as well it's finding out about um how they were going after yes it's all those endless really uh, follow-ups that sometimes people forget uh, they, these communities don't just suddenly recover once it's the bushfires pass and i think that's sometimes what people living in regional areas uh, have issue with is a bunch of journalists from the city you know flying and out cover the big story and then that's it they're nowhere to be seen and I think that's really sad I think it's really important and I think one of the good things about the ABC is that we we pop back continuously because we've got a presence in a lot of regions and we're able to connect with those we have those connections already in place and so we're able to touch base with them regularly and not only see how they're going on a human level but that you know obviously let the community wider community know how they're faring. It's funny, it makes me think of uh, my Adna Mutna Aboriginal maid supporter Gus who used to call the politicians seagulls, Naz, because they'd fly and shit on them and leave was their saying. So yes, we, we can't forget our regional communities. We can't just pop in and do the, the big story and then forget of how they get over it, which no, you certainly have not done. Not. <laughs> how did you make that transition then from bigger to the big smoke? So there was there was a job going um, and I didn't think I had any chance of getting it and thankfully I did and it was um, the news reading position at, at Triple J. So I was very lucky and I've been doing it for seven years. How we hear your mellifluous tones yeah. from then. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, um, it's been wonderful. I, you know, I've loved really connecting with the audience um, who can sometimes be very brutal but also very beautiful at the same time. Um, I've had wonderful connections with people and um, 
it's a great place to work. It's, you know, I obviously grew up listening to it. And so it's wonderful to be on it. And it's a huge privilege to be able to disseminate the news to young people who, you know, are, are the future of this country and to to help them understand the world that we're living in so that they can make informed decisions. It's a huge privilege and responsibility and I don't take it lightly and um, I'm grateful that I get to do it. Um, and it's so much fun, obviously, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's great people I work with and great music and um, I think, you know, we do a lot for young people in terms of raising issues for them that that they think are important and you know we're dictated by the audience and and I think it's a beautiful thing. Funnily enough it sounds quite similar to the connection you had with your regional audience that you you really do feel that connection you get that instant feedback almost on what what you're doing. I think what I love is that in the same way that the regions people in the regional areas feel like they have a you know an ownership of I guess the ABC or, or you know the, the local station. Um, I feel like the audience is so invested in Triple J and what we do and what we stand for, what we represent, um, and you know we we serve them, and um, it's really important. As a newsreader, can you give us a glimpse into your day? I think sometimes people don't realise the work that a newsreader does. It's not like people just give you the scripts to read. It sounds like you've got to go and find those stories too, Naz. So. You would have gotten up in the morning and you, you're pretty well read, you know, before you even step into the office. You know, you, you'll know the sort of local, national and, and international stories of the day even before you step foot in the office. You know, I, I would have been listening to probably three different radio stations across the morning, just flicking, you know, have a look at sort of the headlines in the, the papers and online and things like that. And then, so you come in and... So we'll go through the stories that pop in um, on the ABC wire. So it's a big sort of, I guess, database of where all of our journalists file to. And we go through the stories and might rewrite some of them. You know, the the language that we use on Triple J is obviously for a different audience Mm -hmm. to the rest of the ABC. So we might, you know, rewrite the stories, cut our own audio. We do our own interviews and write our own stories Mm -hmm. as well. And so you'll, you'll put those stories into a bulletin, three minutes, exactly and then pop into the studio and read it and then you're obviously repeating that for several hours and then after you come off the air you're you're writing stories again even though you're writing them between the bulletins you're also writing stories uh, maybe you know for the next morning or forward planning and, and things like that and for online sounds pretty constant yeah yeah so i often do like a story for hack or um, a story for one of our sort of flagship current affairs programs like am you know um last friday between my bulletins i was doing interviews cutting audio writing a script for saturday am mm. Um, I had a story about uh, how coronavirus is impacting the disability community. Go to air on Saturday and I'll be doing another one uh, today as well. So it's it's really busy, there's a lot going on, but I love it. It's I'll great. have to put a link to, to that story for our readers. It sounds like you're really enjoying the long form lately. I do, yeah. yeah. I think um, what's lovely is that you can dig a bit deeper. You can interview multiple people. Your writing in a longer form story can be a lot more creative, not as sort of hard and fast news. And you've got a bit more time, obviously, with a news story. You've got three lines and a grab or 
one line and a little voice report and that could equal 30 seconds max mm-hmm. um, whereas you know sometimes it's a, it's a luxury to get two and a half or two minutes and 50 seconds and I'm cheering it's it's amazing what you can do with that time <laughs> and I think I'll put a link too to the wonderful video the ABC's put together a bit of a compilation of how you actually read your bulletins Nez could we just have a little explanation of that and my uh, lovely friend Scott Johnston upstairs one of the audio guys who kind of helped design the system of what goes into your headphones is, is that right yeah so he did so um basically i've got the headphones on and i've got a screen reading program called jaws it's sort of this robotic mm. voice i guess like um if anyone's ever heard the sort of stephen hawking voice it's sort of like that and so I'll have the headphones on and Jaws will scan the stories on the screen and then read them back in my headphones and I'll listen and repeat what I hear and so that's happening at the same time as obviously I can hear myself coming through the microphone I can hear the little audio snippets that I need to play in the bulletin and then I've got a clock telling me when to start and when to finish the bulletin Um, because obviously we time you know it's strictly timed and Apart from those four audio streams, I've also got one hand on the keyboard of the computer arrowing up and down through the story, so I manually navigate through them. And then my other hand is on the panel on the desk, and that's obviously manoeuvring through the different faders and buttons, and, and that makes all the, the desk work, I guess. Oh, and incredible. So yes. it's... Um, I don't know how you ne- your head's on spinning at the end of each There's bulletin. a lot going on, <laughs> and sometimes at the end of the day, I do sort of feel like I don't really want to <laughs> listen to people talk, or, you know, I tend to just, yeah, chill out. Yeah. And here we are in Sydney with the rain tumbling down around us. It wasn't when we started, but I think we're, luckily we're pretty fine where we are. It's quite nice, actually. <laughs> it's nice to be cool for a change yeah. after that endless summer. So, and did it take a while to get used to that? I imagine it must have, but now you're a bit of an old hand. It did take a long time. I think everyone thinks because you're blind and you rely on audio, you can just do it. And it's, <laughs> it's simply not the case. I think like anything, you know, practice. I don't know that it makes necessarily perfect, but it, um, you, you practice something and you, you start to get used to it and it becomes muscle memory. And I would be nowhere without technology. So I'm very, very fortunate that I was you know, born in a time and grew up in a time where all this amazing technology has been developed and enabled me to to thrive. It's been, and, and given me opportunities that other people who were blind, you know, decades ago would never have been able to do, which is amazing. <laughs> I think the rain might be even coming in a little bit now, Naz. We might need to move inside. We will. All right. We're now in the funky surrounds of the inside of the cafe, Naz. Thank you. At the... Uh, Elements of Sydney have been testing us today. Last year you did your first TV story. That sounded like a really interesting transition for an audiophile like yourself as well. So the first TV story I did was about, uh, I I was on an aid trip to Fiji and it was a really good experience. Obviously I I was there and it was um, a story to do with disabilities. three Australian volunteers over there doing a bunch of aid work um, with some schools for students with disabilities. So it was a really good combination of my advocacy work plus my, my journalism, which was really great. And I, yeah, it was a wonderful experience to file my first TV piece. The transition was interesting. It's a really different way of writing. Obviously writing, you know, normally I listen to audio, I pick the grabs I'm gonna sort of, that I want and then write the story around that. And this, 
with television, you are picking the pictures and writing to those pictures. And obviously when you can't see those pictures, it can be a bit challenging. But I think what was really important was to articulate what I wanted in the story, how what pictures I wanted the camera person to film. And we just were in constant communication about what footage he'd gathered, what the story was about, and it, it worked really well. So that was for a story that I could obviously plan very well and in a sense have some sort of control over. And then in the editing process, I've obviously got to rely heavily on people's you know, interpretations of, of what I wanted, how I wanted the story to look and what we would do in the end is they would, I would listen to the story first and then we'd play it again and then they would tell me what pictures were on the screen at every point in the, so it just takes a lot more communication, um, a lot more planning and just working together really and everyone being on the same page about what we're what we're there for and what we're interested in in terms of pictures um, and I've had a really good experience with that. And so. it just highlights too, I've always felt TV is that much more of a team effort, there's a bit of synergy that comes from that when you get a really good team together that is actually all on the same page as you say and that anything's possible there so with a little bit of communication, a bit of assistance. Yeah and I think you know when I first started in journalism you know way back at uni and things like that People were often saying, "Oh, you know, you'll only, you'll never be able to do television. It's just not gonna, it's not gonna work." For, you know, I had multiple reasons why um, thrown at me, but I, I think it's been really gratifying to now do it and to show others that it can actually work when you put the right supports in place. And I'm really lucky that I've had an organisation and a team behind me that are willing to make it work, and that's all you need. And you've been doing some very challenging stories from the Disability Royal Commission, so tell us a bit about that. That must be challenging as well, going to court and hearing some sometimes pretty harrowing evidence as well. So the Disability Royal Commission has been, I think we've had three public, yeah, we've had three public hearings so far. Um, I've covered all of them and it's been, it's been uh, emotionally draining and physically physically challenging as well in terms of um, so many commitments in terms of TV, radio, online, um, you know, live crosses and all, all types of things. But I've really loved it. I've loved managing my time really carefully. I've loved being there to talk to witnesses after they come out of giving really personal, intimate sometimes very tragic stories um, and evidence and I feel a huge responsibility because we don't have many journalists who at least publicly identify as having a disability and it's really great for me to feel like I can be a person who people can feel comfortable to talk to and that I have a level of understanding and knowledge of the sector that perhaps other journalists don't. And I can bring a level of sort of analysis to the story that others might not be able to. Um, but I, I've loved it. I, I think journalistically it's been just such an amazing learning curve to just jump into TV and doing all of these different, uh, you know, live crosses and things. You know, it's, it's been a sink or swim. And also personally, I've 
just really loved being there amongst it. And being out of the road again is wonderful. And, and doing such an important story, I feel a huge uh, responsibility to be able to tell these stories. You know, for too long, stories about people with disabilities of, that they haven't been told by people with disabilities. And so I really am quite keen to change that. And to to show the community that people come in all shapes and sizes and even though you know a person might not communicate in the way that you or I do they still have a voice they still have a story to tell and it's a damn important one and they deserve the time in the public to share that story if that's what they choose to do. So true Naz. Do you feel that pressure sometimes of having that high public profile? I think I read in one of your stories how a lot of people or a few people with disabilities who want to become journos are approaching you now. What, what advice do you give? I think I'd just say that be prepared to work really hard. I mean, I mean this is for anyone. The advice I'd give yeah. for, for anybody really is prepared, prepared to work hard, prepared to start from the bottom and work your way up. And, and also that I guess the one thing every good journo has is, at the heart of it, is curiosity for who people are, how they live, what makes them tick, what's important to them, and and being able to support them to tell their stories. I guess I, I with, with the Disability Royal Commission specifically, I don't see it as necessarily me telling other people's stories. I, I like to think of it as me supporting them to tell their story mm -hmm. and, and enabling that and to empower them to sort of go out there and talk to the community about the issues that they're facing or the inequities that, that they're facing. And so I think, yeah, to, to have an inherent curiosity for the world around you is what makes a good journalist. Have you seen improvement in the years you've been a journo from those days when you started off and people perhaps didn't know quite what box to put you in there? So has it improved a bit since then? Yeah, I totally have. I think having a public profile uh, on Triple J and now on television has meant that I've somewhat normalised the fact that people with disability not only can they work, but they can work really hard and in high profile roles and that it's possible because the ABC's made it possible and shown people that it can work really well and that it doesn't take huge amounts of money or huge amounts of support. I mean, I'll be travelling around to do the Disability Royal Commission. I don't need a person to come and hold my hand to do it. I'm, I'm flying on my own. I'm, you know, I'm, stories in on time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think you know what what I've. What I've loved is that my managers have expected of me what they expect of every other journalist, and that is to file accurate, fair, balanced stories to the deadline that's expected. And that's the ultimate compliment, you think? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I um, that's, that's all I want, just to be treated like everyone else, given the same respect, as it, respect and opportunities as everybody else. And um, I'm very fortunate that it's it's happened, and I, um, I love it. Just finally, I did a... A project at university uh, called Project Open Doors where we taught or spoke to the third year students about how to report disability issues. I wonder if you have any tips for people. I found a lot of people were a bit afraid of doing issues with disability, not because they were afraid of the issue, but they didn't want to offend people. They didn't want to offend the people they were interviewing, maybe, or so they it was just easier to avoid it. So is there any advice there that you could give? Yeah, so last year, uh, ahead of the Royal Commission starting, I actually developed an editorial guidance note for journalists here at the ABC, and I, I'm 
that's now gone out to other media outlets in Australia as well. And, and we can it, access that. Yeah, yeah, it's publicly available. And it's just some really, quite frankly, simple common sense <laughs> tips and tricks. Don't ask someone about their disability if it's not relevant to the story. Don't patronise. Don't, if you are there with a person who is deaf or hard of hearing, address them. Don't address the, your questions about them to their interpreter. That you can still put people who are deaf or hard of hearing on radio. You just need to find a, you know, an interpreter to to facilitate that. That you know, instead of saying, you know, apologising to someone for their disability or just to to ask them what support they might need or, or if I can be of any assistance, please let me know. Don't assume someone needs your help. And I think it's also important to know that sometimes you are going to get it wrong. The best of us do. And that's okay. I think if you approach everything with an open mind, the best intentions, and you are willing to listen and learn, that's all anyone can expect of you. That's a great point, Naz, because I think I made a few mistakes when I was approaching my Aboriginal communities in Port Augusta. Like, that takes a bit of learning that language and how best to approach people to in a, in a cultural environment you're not familiar with, perhaps. Yeah, and I, I think so long as you come from that perspective of wanting to empower rather than patronise or just to remember that you're supporting people um, to tell their story is, is a good place to start. Thank you so much for telling us about your wonderful work at the ABC and congratulations on everything you've achieved. I really appreciate you talking to us at the Journo Project, particularly with coronavirus taking hold and still finding time in your day for us. Thanks very much. That was Naz Campanella speaking to me from a very rainy and noisy cafe outside ABC in Ultimo for this episode of Streets of Your Town, the Journo Project podcast. Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. Stay up to date with the latest episode of Streets of Your Town by subscribing on your podcast app on iTunes or SoundCloud. See you next time.